I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. Not only do you not have to sacrifice returns uh, to back these type of founders, but in fact, founders that are building companies that are addressing the world's biggest problems have systemic advantages that will help them uh, outcompete companies that aren't on a purely financial basis. And, and so far, uh, that thesis is being proved out. That's Seth Bannon, founding partner at 50 Years, a venture capital firm that doesn't fit neatly into VC or impact investing. Seth and I spoke about tech talent, academic research, and how the crypto crash might be a net positive for climate action. Let's jump right into our conversation. I'm here with our old friend, uh, Seth Bannon from 50 Years VC. Hi, Seth. Welcome back. Hey, David. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Um, we've been wanting to catch up with you. There's so many threads to pick up on, but I can't resist starting with the one that's on everybody's minds, which is that this crypto crash was both kind of inevitable, but also kind of tragic, just how much effort and talent uh, went into it compared to, um, I think what you've always been saying is, you know, let's 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 solve some real problems. Yeah, I, 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 the entire sort of crypto slash Web3 ecosystem has um, been really tragic for a really long time. Um, it, it has, because of the ability to very quickly get rich by creating a token, selling the token uh, to other people, and then getting, getting out, um, it's, it's led to just an unbelievable amount of sort of short-term uh, mindsets. It's led to a lot of people who, instead of focusing on building real long-term solutions or solving important problems, are, uh, have just been looking to get rich quick. Um, and this has been sad for a number of different reasons. Obviously, uh, it's led now we're seeing to a lot of those house of cards crumbling and a lot of investors losing money. But for us, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not even that concerned uh, with that. I think investors are in the, they're professionals. They, them losing money is something they do day by day. But what's been really tragic is it's led to a lot of brilliant developers or designers or entrepreneurs who otherwise could have been uh, contributing to solving the climate crisis or disease or malnutrition or connectivity, um, spending their lives in building technologies that oftentimes solve no real problem whatsoever and that, that, that are simply speculative assets that people are hoping they can convince other people to buy for you know, more value than, than they paid themselves. And so in some sense, I'm glad that it's coming down, that it's crashing down, because I think that a lot of the talent that has been sucked up by the enthusiasm of Web3 will now distribute to other far more important things. Um, and a lot of the investors that got so caught up in, in trying to flip tokens in a period of months instead of doing what VCs should do, which is back things and then support them for years and years and years, hopefully some of those people start thinking with a more long-term mindset. Well, let's let's back up then and just sort of um, uh, remind people what fifty years is about, including the, as you said, the fifty years time frame that you're that you're operating on. But just tell us um, where where fifty years uh, is, is at these days. Yeah, well, so actually, the fifty years, which is the name of the firm, comes from a nineteen thirty one Winston Churchill essay, uh, where Winston Churchill predicts synthetic biology, nuclear power, satellite telephony, genetic engineering, and this is before we discovered the gene. He actually predicts cultivated meat, which the FDA recently approved for the first time ever in the United States. So this is the idea of growing real meat without the animal. Um, so it's just incredible, far-sighted, deep tech insight. And then in the second part of the essay, he talks about how because the pace of change is advancing so rapidly, 
uh, it's more important than ever that a technologist take a principled approach to their work because otherwise we might be accelerating really fast but in the wrong direction. So he combines deep tech insight with a principled approach to your work. So for the type of things we like to back, it's the perfect essay. The essay is called 50 Years Hence. We thought the hence maybe sounded a little old school, so we dropped that. So that's kind of our namesake. And so at 50 Years, we, we support founders that are building uh, deep tech companies that can make a ton of money and do a lot of good in the world. Um, uh, so typically we're backing, you know, PhD teams that are spitting out of top research universities that have a technology that can not only help them build a business that can generate a billion dollars a year in revenue, but also either address the climate crisis or disease or malnutrition or, or some of the world's biggest problems. Uh, and we've been doing this now for seven and a half years. Um, our thesis is that not only do you not have to sacrifice returns, uh, to back these type of founders. But in fact, founders that are building companies that are addressing the world's biggest problems have systemic advantages that will help them uh, outcompete companies that aren't on a purely financial basis. And, and so far, uh, that thesis is being proved out. We, we call that impact alpha over here. Aha, you've got a name. Look at I'm on the right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's just pull that apart because you know we, we, you talked about crypto but you know it used to be you know the sort of um, rap on silicon valley was everybody was building an app or everybody was building another social network or everybody was building a b2b saas platform or something and and nobody was building things that were really very uh, capital intensive and long term and hard and maybe you know risky um, so why can you kind of you know defy those sort of truisms about you know venture capital yeah, so I think a lot of those criticisms, sadly, today are still very true. Um, you know, venture capital has, I think, in many ways, lost its way. Um, venture capital, when the asset class was invented, was about backing entrepreneurs that were building very difficult things that, if successful, would completely upend industries. The actual, the first venture capital fund called itself an adventure capital fund um, to sort of signify how much risk and swashbuckling they were taking. And now most venture capital funds want to find a SaaS app that's kind of sort of working uh, and hope that it works a little bit better. Or they want to find a token that they think is going to go up in the next eight months and then sell eight months later. Um, and so it's really lost its way. And it's unfortunate um, because technology entrepreneurship um, and the founders that are, that are building that technology may be the single best lever we have to fundamentally improve the state of the world. I'm a big believer in philanthropy. I'm a big believer in politics. Um, but both of those have inherent challenges. Uh, politics is incredibly slow moving. Almost uh, it, by design, the political process is conservative because you don't want necessarily the government changing what it does too quickly because that can lead to chaos. Philanthropy is really hard to scale because you're entirely reliant on, on donations and philanthropic capital. But with technology entrepreneurship, if you can find an impact model and you can tie it into a business model, you can now scale that impact through market forces incredibly fast. And, and there is nothing in that, that humanity has ever seen that has led to change as quickly as capitalism has. Um, and the reason that we think and hope that venture returns to its roots and backs the really ambitious, really hard things is because that's what's required to solve the really big problems that are left, right? The climate crisis, disease, malnutrition. If there were easy solutions to these problems, they would have been solved already. If you could build a SaaS app that solved the climate crisis, trust me, someone would have built it. 
most of these problems, because they're still around, they're around because they require really hard solutions. Um, and so that's what we do is we find the best researchers at the best universities that are building these really hard solutions uh, to these big problems. And, and uh, while doing it, building really great businesses, and then we support them with our capital and our advice and our networks and all that jazz. Well, so I know we love to critique the VC model, but I, I think you also have a critique in some cases of the impact investing model, which at some level um, is also risk averse in, in, in ways and, and, and has gotten itself uh, at some level sort of tied up with, you know, um, sort of proving out that it can sort of, you know, I don't know, make market rate returns. I think you've always told me, you know, market rate returns is not really what the goal is. That's kind of uh, table stakes at some level. It's very true. We uh, at Fifth Years often feel like voyagers without 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 a family. Uh, the world of tech we feel a little bit distant from because though they often think in terms of big grand ambitions and speed and risk, um, they're excited to back you know NFT jetpack startups. Literally, this was a startup. They make NFT jetpacks, so jetpacks for the metaverse in the form of NFTs, and they raise tens of millions of dollars from venture capitalists, right? So it's really hard for us to get along with venture capitalists that are funding that sort of thing. You have Mark Andreessen, the founder of Andreessen Horowitz, who said that companies that are trying to do good through startups, uh, it's like a houseboat, not a great house, not a great boat, and you shouldn't do it. Uh, and then on the flip side, you have the world of, of impact investing. And at least in that world, we feel very values aligned because it's uh, it's a community of people that think that business can be about more than just profit. And in fact, should be about more than just profit, right? And people building companies ought to be focusing on bringing real value into, into, into people's lives. Um, but we don't feel fully aligned because the world of impact investing tends to be incredibly risk averse. Um, the really big swing mentality of Silicon Valley is very foreign um, uh, to, the, to, to the sort of traditional world of impact investing. They typically um, prefer slow cash flow businesses that have very little risk of failing or you know, infrastructure projects that are going to incrementally improve things. Um, but the, the, the founders that are taking the radically ambitious path that is likely to fail, but if it doesn't fail, might eliminate an entire category of problem this is, is, a, is a type of startup that the traditional world of impact investing tends to be pretty uncomfortable with. And so in some way, we, we exist in the ether at 50 years where uh, we only want to back companies that are solving truly important problems, but we only want to back founders that are taking incredibly big swings and incredibly risky uh, paths, but ones that might really fundamentally push the world forward if they succeed. Let's take this to the current situation. You mentioned, obviously, the crypto crash. That's part of a kind of broader reset of startup financing, you know, venture and tech in general, and then the markets in general and, and, and the reset. So is this like good for, <laughs> bad for investors at some level, but maybe good for impact or is it bad all around? Or how do you, how do you, how do you read the current market conditions? I mean, I think the crash is, over the long term, and that's one thing that we always try and think about is the long term. Uh, over the long term, it's great for everybody, right? You know, the the entire ecosystem had lost its way. There was a lot of undisciplined uh, investing, people backing teams at just untenable valuations, which is never great. There were, as we mentioned, a lot of people looking to get rich quick. Um, traditional VCs that have backed fundamental technology uh, innovations and and are completely capable of supporting entrepreneurs in doing that. We're backing NFT projects, 
not even the NFT technology, literally just NFT collections, you know, collections of JPEGs. Um, and, and I think um, a lot of that uh, behavior we will now see disappear. Uh, when capital is scarce, um, you have far fewer people that are looking to play entrepreneur. And so that, the people that tend to start companies are, are ones that tend to have very deep personal connections to the problems that they're solving. Um, and, and those type of entrepreneurs uh, are disproportionately focused on the world's biggest problems, things like climate or health or malnutrition or connectivity. Um, and the companies that are building true solutions tend to rise above the fray, right? All the short-term hype and speculative nonsense disappears because speculation in a down market is really, really hard. Uh, uh, but companies that are actually building things that create long-term value, they tend to outshine. And it's also um, really great because the talent at a lot of those other companies that should never have existed in the first place, the 15-minute delivery startups, the dog walking apps, the NFT whatevers, the, the jetpack metaverse crypto things, um, that people that were attracted to those companies are often really talented people. And so they then often reflect on what they want to be doing with their lives. Um, and, and they often choose to do something more important that they can feel great about, especially when there's no certainty uh, uh, of getting ri uh, rich, right? So when times are good, it feels like, oh, I can join this company and definitely get rich. And so I'll just go do it. When times are bad and you can't rely on getting rich, you have to think about what else are you getting in your career? Um, and so you tend to prioritize more things like, I want to really feel good about my work. I want to be proud of what I do. Now, climate tech and climate investing has been sort of surprisingly resilient, you know, against these other trends in, in, in the broader tech market, broader VC market. Is that a function of, you know, sort of sense of urgency about the climate problem? Or is that a, a function of, you know, government funding coming in and, and, and turbocharging some opportunities? Um, uh, and does that prove out your thesis that uh, the, these longer term problems are actually the place to be? I would say there's a few things um, converging that are uh, creating this incredible tailwind for climate. So right now, capital is for sure more scarce in just about every part of the market, maybe with the exception of climate. Uh, it feels like maybe climate is has matched where it was in 2021, which is incredible because everything else has crashed around it. Um, and so um, why is that? I think there's a few different reasons. So one, uh, there, there are an increasing number of institutional investors that have climate or ESG mandates. Um, it, it's, it's particularly popular in Europe. So I, I was talking to someone who works with a lot of these institutional uh, LPs, and they were saying that uh, about 90% by their estimate of European LPs have some sort of climate mandate now. Um, and, and so there's just a lot of, of institutional capital that, that's looking to go into the space. Sadly, by the way, in the United States, they estimated that number was at 10%. So I think the U.S. is, is behind Europe when it comes to climate in, uh, investing. Um, Two, you have an, uh, a wave of consumer demand that has been slowly growing, but continues to grow literally month by month. You have more companies that are looking to decarbonize their supply chains because their customers or because their employees uh, are demanding it. Uh, three, uh, you have uh, legislation, which is very significant. The uh, IRA, which is a sort of misnamed bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, was is a very, very significant piece of climate legislation. It's the most significant piece of climate legislation the world has seen. Um, it, I would say, has sped up the time to profitability for some of our companies by three or four years. Um, uh, it fundamentally changes the economics of a lot of climate tech startups for the better in a way that has really lit a fire uh, under the whole space. 
Um, and, and, and this is obviously just the United States, but um, there's real hope now that the IRA has sort of shown the way and the Biden administration did an amazing job there that Europe will quickly follow with similar legislation. Partly because the Europeans don't want all this made in America. There's now competition to be climate leaders. The Europeans don't want the Americans to, to steal a march just like, just like we don't want the Chinese to steal a march. This is absolutely right. And I think a lot of um, a lot of governments are realizing now that climate tech is the future. Right. It's not just that, you know, these are going to be more sustainable versions of these are going to be the versions of X. Right. And, and, and for Europe to think that the future of every production technology is going to be made in America is obviously not great. Um, and there's real geopolitical advantage to having climate tech be homegrown. And so I think Europe will follow. Um, and then the fourth trend that's driving climate, and this is for people like us, the most significant is is talent. Um, the level of talent heading into climate is absolutely astounding. Uh, and it is at every level. it's it's everyone from uh, you know college uh, graduates to PhDs. Uh, to people that have five years under their belt, to VPs at places like Facebook or Google or Amazon, um, to repeat entrepreneurs who have sold their previous companies for billions of dollars. Um, you know, I, I was just uh, the other day talking to a founder who built a, a $30 billion plus company, stepped away recently, and he said, the next thing I do, I want to be in climate. Uh, and that is not unusual. Um, I think a lot of people realize that this is going to be the defining challenge of our generation and they want to be a part of creating the solutions. And so that's why I think climate, despite the market crash, is still seeing uh, an incredible amount of activity. Let's take on talent uh, directly because I've always been impressed by sort of how much you you focus on that. And you have a kind of broader view. I mean, sometimes in the Valley, you know, talent is, you know, just the, the latest computer science grad or something. But you are looking for PhDs in all kinds of, you know, you know, once obscure fields and, and as you said, other other categories of people who can contribute. So how do you how do you think about sort of, you know, bringing bringing talent into the, the kinds of solutions you're looking for? Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. And and because, you know, these challenges are pretty grand, um, they, they often require really deep technical expertise to craft solutions. Right. If you're talking about doing something like clean hydrogen or electric flight or carbon negative chemicals, um, you know, software developers alone aren't going to get you there. Um, and so we focused a lot at 50 years um, on building networks among PhDs and researchers at the top academic universities, places like Harvard and MIT and Stanford and ETH Zurich and Cambridge and uh, Francis Crick Institute. Um, so that, A, we're aware of the research that's happening. Uh, and when we think that the research is at a place where maybe uh, a startup can be formed and the researchers can, can go and run that, we can give a little nudge. Um, for them to do that, uh, and B, to provide an off-ramp for those researchers to actually start a startup. Uh, academia, while solutions are being created to literally every problem we have somewhere in an academic lab, academia is very insular, right? In most academic labs, um, the idea of starting a startup is considered a little uncouth, a little dirty, right? It's not something you're supposed to talk about, right? Because the, the only pure thing is the search for truth, uh, and anything commercial uh, is, is no good. Um, and, and of course, this is absurd because... Or the search for tenure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Truth or tenure. Um, uh, this, is, this is not great because these innovations 
once they get published in an academic paper, don't automatically make it out into the world after that. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to actually go and build the technology. And there's no one better to build it than the PhDs that actually invented the technology. And so part of the reason that we spend so much time talking to these PhDs at these universities is to let them know that they should absolutely consider doing that. And if they want to do that, there's people like us that will support them in every way we can to help them transition from world-class researchers to world-class entrepreneurs. Now, in some cases, you've said that there actually isn't necessarily the depth of academic research or solutions. Um, and, and part of that may be sort of legacy, you know, biases of various sorts. So, for example, reproductive health, particularly for women, obviously, um, uh, under underinvested at the academic level, therefore not such a good pipeline of solutions uh, that you can pick up on as well. Yes, this is absolutely true. So I think uh, for a lot of big problems in the world, uh, there are already being built solutions in academic labs. I think climate is is an example where uh, we're really bullish on this, right? There's so much amazing work happening in academia uh, that I think all we should be focusing on is, is helping translate that research out in, in, into the world. Um, but there are some areas where the science isn't where it needs to be to start startups. So, you know, we uh, brought on a woman, Sarah, onto our team as an entrepreneur residence, and her goal was to spend half her time helping our founders, then half her time figuring out uh, the company that needed to be built to help with female reproductive health. And so she went and she talked to all the scientists in the space, uh, and what she realized was that the science just wasn't ready to build the sorts of companies that you'd need to build if you wanted to really push forward the state of the art and reproductive, uh, female reproductive health. And, and, and why was that? It's because it's been woefully underfunded. So there have been 5.5x more studies about male infertility than female infertility. Uh, the, 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 the amount of funding in some years that just erectile dysfunction has gotten than all of female infertility and reproductive health problems has been like 6x. Uh, it wasn't until the, until the 90s that if you were trying to get a drug approved, you even had to include women in your studies. You could run studies just on male bodies. Um, and so what this means is that the science just isn't there. And so we are launching uh, a program, well, we just launched a program called Repro Grants, which is basically fast grants for female reproductive health. It's modeled after this incredible program that was launched during COVID uh, by Patrick Collison, one of the Stripe founders, and Tyler Cohen, an economist, um, that basically said, can you, in a very short period of time, two weeks, make funding decisions for scientists, small funding decisions, um, to get them started on their research. A lot of people said there's no way you can do that. You know, there's a reason the NIH takes a year uh, in many cases to make their decisions because you have to really dig in. Well, guess what? It turns out that's not the case. Uh, they, in, in two weeks, funded a lot of COVID research. A lot of that research now has turned into therapeutics or diagnostics that are actually making it out into the world. One of our own portfolio founders launched something called Impetus Grants, which is basically fast grants for longevity research. Um, and so modeled off of these two programs, we've launched Repro Grants, which you can apply if you're a researcher. You could be a PhD, you can be a postdoc, you could be a professor. And within two weeks, we will give you a yes or no funding decision and give you anywhere from $10,000 to $100,000, purely philanthropic, no strings attached. The IP is all yours. This is simply uh, to try and uh, accelerate the science in the female reproductive health space so that hopefully two years from now, uh, there's a bunch of startups that can get formed. And then hopefully those scientists are grateful uh, that 50 years played a role in helping fund their research. And, and, and when they want to start a company, they come to us. And so have you made any funding decisions yet? Or is it still, you just you just put it out there and now you're waiting for folks to come to you? Application 
applications just opened. We have, uh, I think, about 100 applications already, which is pretty incredible from from uh, academic institutions like Harvard and Stanford and just incredible places. And so the reviewers now have a couple weeks to get those decisions out. Okay, the clock is running. Okay, so there's you've, you've sort of proven out these different theories. Um, some of the companies you backed early, we've been we've been talking a lot for, you know, for years about Solugen, which I think is using enzymes to replace um, petrochemicals in making or, or petroleum in making in making chemicals. And w- the theory was always that if there were success stories and the fabled unicorns in impact, then it would be kind of the you know proverbial Netscape moment and everybody would pile into impact and all the venture capitalists would all of a sudden become impact investors, not because of their intrinsic impact, but just because that's where the opportunities were. So is the market flipping in the directions that uh, we've just been talking about um, based on, on your success? Are there followers? Are there the next 50 years? David, I think I think it's happening. I do think it's happening. So, you know, Solidin is a, a great example. So uh, this is a company that makes carbon negative chemicals using chemienzymatic technology. So as you uh, mentioned, they use enzymes, which are basically the molecular machines of biology, and they combine that with heterogeneous metacatalysis, which is a trick from the oil and gas industry, to take plant sugars and to convert them into carbon negative chemicals. And, you know, when we backed them in 2016, we became their first investor um, there was a lot of skepticism. There was skepticism because they were a bio company. There was skepticism because they were a climate company. You know, the sustainability angle is deeply, deeply important to Sean and Gorob, the founders of this company. And they were saying, no, actually, the fact that we are, you know, sustainable, uh, it ties into our business model. And that will help accelerate our profitability, accelerate our, our growth trajectory. And a lot of VCs rolled their eyes. Well, Solugen has more than doubled or tripled their revenue every single year since we backed them. They're now at 100 million annual run rate. They've brought online a 15,000 ton per year plant in Houston making their carbon negative chemicals. They've reached a $2 billion valuation. And this was a round that they raised uh, during the actual trough of the market crash. So it's a very solid $2 billion valuation. And so, yes, a lot of people see the success of companies like Solugen and they sort of scratch their heads and they say, maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe these entrepreneurs that are talking about doing good through business can build really great businesses. They see the caliber of talent that Solugen has been able to attract so early on in the company. And they wonder, hmm, maybe that is because they can go to these people and they they can say, hey, not only can you work on interesting problems with great people and make a ton of money, but you can do good also in your work. Um, And so we've seen now a lot of additional funds uh, either start specifically focused on backing companies that are solving the world's biggest problems, you know, high growth, high risk tech startups that are solving the world's biggest problems. And we've also seen, which is very interesting, more partners at a lot of the established funds start to say, I'm the climate partner here. I'm I'm backing companies solving the world's biggest problems. I'm the health tech partner here. And so even though the full fund might not have completely switched their mandate, you're starting to see some of the partners at these funds realize, hey, the smartest people are start the best, absolutely most talented people are starting these really important companies. And I understand as an individual at this firm that they're going to outcompete. And so we're super excited about this, right? Like we think there still needs to be 10 to 100x the amount of capital supporting these companies than there are. And we welcome every single VC that is backing NFT jetpack metaverse startups to join us 
in backing the climate tech startups and the health tech startups and the connectivity startups and the startups addressing malnutrition and fixing the food system. Um, and, you know, we're also, we, we want there to be copycats. So we were really proud. Our first fund, which we launched in 2015, is now at over 13x, right? And so we also want to be an example of a fund that has only ever backed companies that are solving these big global problems and has been able to, you know, post amazing results in doing so. So you've heard it here, folks, that if you are ready to get out of the crypto metaverse NFT jetpack uh, market and and into the um, uh, uh, climate solutions, health solutions. Um, uh, that um, what Seth Bannon won't tease you too hard when you recant your your earlier your we earlier will ways. we will help you do it. <laughs> we will help you do it honestly. If you if you want to if you want to back these types of startups, reach out to us. Like we. Um, we don't view anyone else backing these types of startups as, as competition, right? We, we view them as collaborators. Um, and in fact, we have had great conversations with a lot of people that have been backing SaaS startups or enterprise tech startups. And they say, hey, doesn't seem as fulfilling as what you do. doesn't seem as fun as what you do. And it doesn't feel like it's going to be as profitable as what you do. And we're always happy to help those investors understand how they can sort of, you know, get a, a lay of the land of companies in this space, how they can make sense of it. We're happy to introduce them to our founders. We're happy to introduce them to other founders. So honestly, if you want to make that jump, please do join us. Well, it certainly is um, uh, time to build, uh, to, to, to coin a phrase. Um, Seth, Seth Bannon, thanks for joining us. And we're going to check back with you uh, every so often and see how <laughs> it's going. So appreciate your time. Thanks so much, David. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Seth Bannon, 50 Years, and the companies they invest in at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to Seth, our producer Isaac Silk, and to the whole team at Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge. And to all of you Agents of Impact, thanks again for all that you do.